Welcome to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast where we're going to be exploring above and below the surface. We'll take in a deep dive into the world of fishing, diving, and surfing. Every week, we're going to sit down with experts to learn more about them and get their freshest, hottest takes on all things salty. What's up, everyone? Kieran Anderson here. Welcome to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast. I am so excited right now. We have Connor Baxter here. Connor, what is up? What's up, man? Yeah, super excited here, too. Um, You know, we see each other a lot from social media, but now to catch up, get into a nice, deep conversation and uh, nothing better than a little salt talk. I know, dude. I'm stoked. Uh, give Give the clientele where you're from and a little bit about yourself. Sweet. Yeah. Connor Baxter, 26 years old, born and raised here in Maui, Hawaii, and uh, just been a water enthusiast my whole entire life. Here in Maui, we have such diverse conditions, so we really want to take advantage. So if the wind's up, let's go windsurf, utilize that. If there's no wind, surf's up, then yeah, grabbing the shortboard or sup surfboard. And of course, plenty of uh, fresh sea life over here. So when I get the opportunities to go a little fishing or trolling action, I'm just kind of soaking it all up. And that's why it's been such a great connection. Um, yeah, with you guys, Salt Life, everything. So rad, dude. Um, do you get waves today? Oh, yeah. Did a few little sessions, solo sessions, taught some surf lessons. Uh, day before yesterday on Tuesday, went for uh, a long paddle, went from Maui to Molokai. So 27 miles, three and a half hours paddling, just getting in those uh, those miles, racking up the engine. No way. How was that paddle? lot of currents yeah pretty intense for sure lots of current and that like first little bit it's not too crazy but once you get into that purple color of water that's when things get a little shifty obviously and yeah you're kind of threading the needle you got lanai on your left hand side molokai on your right side so you're kind of picking a point right in between them and just trying to cut across. And, um, yeah, the two closest points are about 10 miles, but from where we start and finish total is 27 miles. So it's a good trek. That's just your go-to though. Paddling. (laughs) I feel like you're, you're like the ultimate man with that. You can, you can do it all for sure. I think it's, uh, it's been fun. I mean, the paddling side is uh, definitely where it's taken hold, especially on the competition side. I uh, found a little niche in there. And uh, now that that's kind of paying the bills, so to speak, all the other stuff can be for fun, you know? And I think surfing, especially for me and my outlook on it, it's designed to have fun, right? So Absolutely. you do a phenomenal job at it. We know a lot of other athletes that do a phenomenal job at it. And it's just about that stoke, that glide. That's what we're looking for. So keep that for fun. And then, yeah, the sup and the paddling endurance fitness side has kind of been uh, rolling now since, gosh, probably since 14 years old, traveling, competing, all the above. Well, how did you get into all the paddling, paddle racing, paddle boarding, everything? Yeah, I mean... Do, Do you do prone as well? Prone, very little. Yeah, I mean, I guess touching on that, the only prone I've really competed and uh, done a lot of, uh, Zane and I, a good buddy from here in Hawaii, we went over to New Zealand for this Ultimate Waterman event, and that had eight disciplines in seven days, and it was SUP, 
canoe. Uh, there was an underwater breath hold challenge, longboard, shortboard. No way. Yeah. So we had all the different kind of avenues prone. So that's the only taste that I've kind of gotten of it. Otherwise here in Maui, it's a pretty popular thing to go downwind with it. But the SUP kind of grabbed hold of me, that factor of just being able to step back into that surfer stance, gliding downwind it's in a flat day, the only way to surf, you know, we got a 10 mile coast run that we're literally surfing downwind. Once you learn, obviously the, the tricks, but yeah, you're surfing 10 miles down the coast. Yeah. You can do it every day. I feel like. For sure. Maui, uh, we have a joke here where it's Maui glass, which means it's always cranking, but yeah, the short borders, the surfers, we've all adapted and uh, utilized it to our advantage. That's so sick. Hey, Connor, you just had a baby, right? I did, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been incredible, man. Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, talk about it. It's <laughs> It's been a silver lining, to say the least, in the sense of day and age. You know, we've been going nonstop probably since, yeah, 14. The traveling's only gotten more and more and more. So six to eight months out of the year on a plane, traveling in different countries. So um, it's a little hit the pause button, had a kid and now we're in 2021 and he's a year old. So it's been, it's been year a old. wild wow. ride, but he's amazing. That's so rad. Yeah. And already is he a frother. He is a frother straight descendant from me. He's no nonstop way. going already, uh, psyching on the surfboard. Funny enough, he's uh, he likes the paddling out part, and he likes launching over the whitewash. So it gets him staying in the water. We'll catch a wave, and he's already pointing back out to the lineup to go launch a few whitewashers. So no way, yeah, it's been super cool, dude. That's so rad. Oh yeah. Do you think he's gonna surf, or do you think he's gonna like paddleboard too? Or do you think he'll just do it all? I hope he just. I my theory and like outlook on it is similar to like how my parents gave it to me, right? And it wasn't like you are gonna be a basketball player, you are gonna be a surfer yeah. only. You know, they like said, here's option A through Z. Go get yourself tired so that we don't have to deal with you and all this crazy energy <laughs> that you have. Same dude. And uh, they want me in the water from sun up to sundown, and the only way to do that, especially here in Maui was to utilize all the different avenues. Morning, go for a short shortboard session. Wind picks up, let's go windsurfing. Uh, not too much waves, let's go for a downwinder. And that was kind of my outlook. And and when we were having, you know, got pregnant and all that was like, yeah, let's just give them every opportunity on every land, yeah. on water, see what he really thrives in and frosts on. And I think that just gives him a good kickstart. Being in Hawaii, obviously surrounded by water, I am crossing my fingers and hoping he loves it. And the way we're going already until he has a big wipeout or a big scare right now, he's like charging headfirst into shore break, jumping on the surfboard, cries if I go on a surfboard without him. <laughs> so it's it's pretty <laughs> awesome for sure. Good start. So so what was your upbringing then? Like you grew up in Maui. Did you surf? Like how did you get in all this stuff? Yeah. Both parents were, uh, athletes themselves. Mom was a world champion and top three woman for windsurfing back in the day. 
And wow. same with my dad. He was heavily involved in the whole R&D side and product design side for windsurfing, making some of the first full carbon fiber booms that a lot of the professionals were using. And he was the same. He was, uh, he was raised in Oahu. So he was surfing. He was Hobie cat racing. He was windsurfing, kind of just staying active and in the water. And yeah, once they had my sister and myself, you know, they were, my mom was windsurfing and body surfing, surfing and up until the day she gave birth. So we were riding the waves and getting that gliding sensation before we even knew what was up or down. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. Yeah. That's so rad. Maui has really good winds for that too. Totally. Yeah. We have trade winds blowing pretty much every single day of the year. So North shore where the waves are bigger, we tend to get a lot more wind. You can kind of hide around the lee of the Island, uh, the backside of the Island, South shore, West side, and that gets a little more sheltered for the wind. And right now, summertime, that's where all the swells are rolling into. So it's been a pretty rad summer so far. That's rad. That's super good. I love that. So how long have you been paddleboarding for? Uh, first time I tried it was 11 years old and now I'm 26. So dang, quite a while. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny though, because at that time when I was 11 and I first jumped on it, it was my dad's tandem board, which was 12 foot long. He grabbed (laughs) an aluminum kayak paddle and cut it down and then put a glued a T-top handle on it. So every time I dropped that paddle, it sank to the bottom. It was just like such a hard learning curve. The board was massive, hard to turn. And I was coming from, yeah, shortboarding, windsurfing, where we're flying, going super fast out, jumping waves, catching waves, you know, having way more maneuverability. So that first time at 11, I was like, wow, what is this sport? I mean, Laird, what are you trying to create here? I see where you get the <laughs> the energy and the like off-season training because it was a lot of work to move those big boards, heavy paddles at the time. And then it kind of faded away. And then it wasn't until like 13, 14 years old where Starboard, one of my other main sponsors for equipment, every year they would come here to Maui for their annual um, uh, photo shoot. So they'd bring all the gear, all the riders and all the windsurfing gear. And then every year they kept on trying to design a couple new boards, a couple new boards in the SUP uh, industry. And they're like, oh, this is going to be the next sport, next sport. You guys got to try it, get into it. And it wasn't until the downwind side of the sport really grabbed a hold because, yeah, the surfing and the shortboarding was way more exciting. You grabbed a little short board that was, you know, a five foot board at the time or a six foot board, nice and light, and you're good to go. You didn't need this big long board, a paddle and all the above to go catch a wave. So when the downwind side came out of it and there was no waves, south side, north shore, and just honking wind, we're like, okay, let's surf downwind, right? And once we kind of got the groove, got the feeling of catching bumps and actually riding waves or swells over a minute, two minutes long, then you're like, wow, this is this is what we want to do with the sport. This side of uh, the sport is really awesome. And then of course, equipment evolved, boards got lighter, longer, faster, and it kind of um, moved away from that long board shape, which a lot of the traditional set boards were. They were just big long boards, big tandem boards. They got way more specific, taking notes from you know the outrigger scene and all of that scene, the va'as in, in Tahiti, and then designing a board that we could stand on, sustain that stability for 10 miles an hour of paddling, and put a rudder on it, and then bang, now we're crossing channels, we're going downwind, and the sport was starting to emphasize and grow. And for me personally, it was um, 
about 14 and a half, 15 years old. Uh, we did a big race here in Maui and it goes from Maui, the same run Maui to Molokai. And we had the big head honchos. You had Dave Kalama, his cousin, Ikolu Kalama, and some other phenomenal paddlers at the time, Livio, Jeremy Riggs, Mark Rappahorse. And these were all the big top dogs of the sport. These are the guys that I was training with, chasing down and like, oh, I'm going to beat these guys one day. <laughs> and um, in windsurfing and shortboarding, obviously wasn't making any money. There was no, like if I was going to compete, it would have been against the big boys. It would have been against the bigger people. So there was no ability of, uh, you know, winning a competition where SUP, it was still so new, entered into this race, had a little bit of experience and sure enough, picked the right line across the channel and ended up winning it and making a little prize money. And I was like, Whoa, okay. I'm, you know, I'm still leaning. Yeah. Working into this whole sport. I'm not feeling super confident and wow. I just won a race, made a little prize money. Sponsors are stoked. I think this is, this is the calling right now. This is, I'm going to run with this. So let's see what this does. And then the drive just started from there. And that's exactly, yeah. The drive started from there. The hunger of, okay, that's, you know, this is like the feeling that I want. I want to keep chasing this feeling, obviously winning, but it was that feeling of, you know, beating people that were bigger or stronger than me. And then it got me more hungry to train harder, kind of dive into the nutrition side, dive into the recovery side. Yeah. I I always see that on your Instagram. You're so into like recovery and training and stuff. It's insane. Oh yeah. I mean, at this level now too, like all of us athletes know it's all about these 1% gains. So all that stuff was kind of flowing in. Yeah. Oh yeah. We talked, we talked about that like a week ago or something. Oh yeah. We were talking about the 1%. And it, it's crazy because it's so hard to get those 1% gains, but it's funny. I mean, you look into the Olympic athletes and they've done everything through A through Z and they're trying to find one more level up. Right. And now they're getting more into dental health because their teeth have to be perfect to absorb all the nutrition. They're like, that's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to try to do this because training is pretty much scientifically straightforward. Now at this point, we have pretty much a good understanding of a plus B equals this. And that's hard work. Plus, you know, good recovery is going to get good results, but how do we go to that extra level? And that's been really a fun side of it. And that's all been evolving, of course. And from that one race, you know, that one experience of winning at 14 years old has really slingshotted me into this whole side of, uh, you know, the health and fitness endurance athlete, uh, you know, researching and looking up people that probably wouldn't have, you know, even been interested if I was more in the surfing and, uh, windsurfing category, because that still to this day, not everybody, obviously, there's a lot of surfers that are phenomenal and taking that athletic approach to it, but you know, they're going out and having a good time the night before a competition, coming, waking up a little bit before their heat, grabbing a Snickers and hitting the water. And that was like, okay, I know we can do that, but how do we, you know, take it up one notch? And yeah, that's when the nutrition and the whole that side of things kind of took a hold. When you were a Grom or like your young age, what kind of like, were you competing against like Kai Lenny and Jamie Mitchell and those guys? Oh yeah. Yeah. So Kai and I've been competing since day one, since five years old at the little uh, Menahui contest at Lania Poco, where we were doing the boogie board division, the longboard division, the <laughs> every division on the category list, basically. You guys were full frothers. Oh yeah. Just full frothers. If you guys don't know who Kai Lenny is, look him up. He's 
nuts. He's insane. He, he is for sure. He's a few years older than me. So it's been a great, like not necessarily role model in a sense, but someone to push that level with, right? You know, you need those guys. Yeah. Because you want to compete against them. Exactly. And having that older brother mentality of like, Oh, I'm going to yeah. beat this kid. You know, like I'm the younger bro, I'm the younger kid in this situation. So it, it started off at that young age And then as we both kind of somehow going through the surfing and then into the windsurfing, and then we both shifted into the sup side of things, he took really strong hold on the surfing. But then once he saw the explosion and how big the racing side of the sport was just exploding, growing, 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 he jumped right on that bandwagon. And uh, for our world tour, the APP, we were literally trading off race to race. One weekend we're in Europe, he won it. The next weekend we're over in Asia, I won it. Next weekend we're back here in Hawaii, he won it. And it was just like one for one for one for one. And it was uh, one of those rivalries, you know, like the Andy and Kelly or whatever it may be. Yeah, I was just going to say like surfing world, Andy Kelly and... Totally. So it had that, that kind of push to each other and it really brought that legitimateness to the sport at the same time, even though it was a small scale, but if no one, if there's one guy out there just winning every single race, there's like, okay, what is this? Uh, this, this is just is one guy just paddling and winning a race. But when you have some competition, some trading back and forth and all of that it makes excitement and it keeps everything really interesting. And yeah, we had a good run of, uh, he won a world title. I would win the world title next year and then back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, now luckily transferred over to the big wave scene. So now we just have some fun off the field and, and just surfing. <laughs> I know, dude, he's insane. I competed against him a couple of times at Nell Scott reef event and he was like, Oh yeah, dude, he was frothing so hard. Like got the i've never seen anybody in my whole entire life get get a tube like he got at nelska actually i don't even think i've ever seen somebody get tubed at nelska reef (laughs) i didn't even know it barreled (laughs) yeah Yeah, dude he just somehow got this thing made it and then like 45 minutes later i just see him hydrofoiling the south peak it's like probably 50 foot and he's just hydrofoiling i'm like dude you just got the best wave i've ever seen here and now you're hydrofoiling are you frothing that hard Oh yeah. He's on that level. Yeah. He's, he would come to like his whole aspect on the training side is like, okay, how can I do more so that I can literally stay on the water from sun up to sundown and ride my foil, my shortboard, my kite, my windsurf and all the above. Yeah. So that's the kind of people we have to look up to who we can compare ourselves to. And you're like, okay, this is awesome. This is a big mountain to climb, but you know, like anything, that's how we grow. That's how we advance, you know? And yeah, exactly. He's proving it's doable. It fully is. If you put your mindset down and, and like charge as hard as he does or anyone does, like you can make it happen. Totally. Hey, real quick. What you were talking about world titles. What is the world title you won? So yeah, that one's part of the, at the time was the world series, which is same kind of uh, people running it, but now has shifted over to the APP. But yeah, Mm -hmm. our world series, um, was about 10 events per year and we would race Saturday, Sunday, Saturday would typically be a shorter sprinting format. So we'd have four or five guys in a heat. And it would be same mentality as surfing where 50% of the field would advance. And we have that kind of uh, pyramid up to the top to the finals. And then you got the last four guys. So a short, about a minute long race, 
lots of turns, very technical and high pace. Go, come in, rest, get some water, boom, next round, go next. And um, that was the sprinting wow. side. And then the next day we would do more of a marathon. So anywhere into that 10, 15 mile range, um, typically utilizing the conditions as best as we can. If it was a here in Hawaii, for instance, we would run it downwind. Flat water races typically would be a point A to point B. And uh, you would kind of see more similarities like Tour de France style, everyone kind of lining up into that draft train and trucking along. Pretty much like the same thing for the WSL World Surf League. Would you travel around the world? Correct. Yeah. So same mentality. We would have, like I said, 10 stops on the tour and these would range from a big part of it was definitely in Europe. That was a huge explosion. Everyone really caught on in the sense that, yeah, the sub side of this thing scene was paddle anywhere, right? You need a body of water and you can go for a sub run. So Europe, Asia and California were the big hubs of stand-up paddling. And that's kind of where we cycled through. And even though it started here in Hawaii, um, the World Tour has only made it here a few handful of times, which actually potentially coming back this year, which I'm super excited about. But yeah, that California had a really big event down there in Dana Point. Um, that wasn't always part of the world tour. Some years it was, some years it wasn't, but it was just a huge festival. And that was a different format. We were racing in and out of the surf. So ton of carnage, uh, lots of wipeout, breaking boards. You would kind of do an M course on the water, run up the beach and you would run around a chicane on the sand, boom, right back on your board, going for another lap. Speaking of uh, California events and going in and out, talk to us about the Ocean Beach event. I want to hear about that. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about it a little bit. Ocean Beach, San Francisco, if you guys don't know, is the worst paddle out of your life when it's big. It is so gnarly. Yeah. It sucks. It doesn't matter what board you're on either. It does, you can be Dude. on any type of equipment and it is hard. It is really hard. It is so brutal. I've never made it out first try. In my whole entire life. <laughs> totally. And I, I've been there on like some pretty decent swells. And the one person that always makes it out first try is Damien Hobgood every oh, single gosh. time. I don't <laughs> he know He just how. has the rip down. He's just like, you know what? I'm going to go right here. And you're like, why is he picking that spot on the beach? And then boom, makes it out. Dude, fully. I'm like, I'm going to go down here. And then me and my buddy will like be paddling out. And then Damon will be like, yeah, boys, I'm already out, dude. I've got like six waves. I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> you're like, where have we Takes been? Like an hour to get out. Yeah. How was that event? Yeah, that event is insane. So that was part of the world tour. Uh, Red Bull actually got behind it as well to make it even more exciting. They love that thrill, that crashing, the excitement, the carnage, all the above. But the different dynamic of this race is that we had a holding period. So typically they would set a race date. You know what? We're racing this, this weekend on Saturday, rain or shine, we're racing. This event was, okay, we have the whole month of October. We're going to wait for the absolute biggest day. We have a wave requirement of 10 feet plus. So the waves have to be bigger than 10 foot, which... 10 foot Hawaiian? uh, 10 foot faces, luckily. But still, the days that they were choosing, obviously, were the biggest days. If it was like a borderline 10 foot day, they're like, ah, let's wait. Let's let it get a little bigger, a little bigger. And yeah, like you said, Ocean Beach is no joke. It's a long, long beach, ton of current, 
dark, cold water, and it's a beach break. So it's consistently rolling in. There's no channels. There's no way of, okay, let's paddle out here because you're paddling out there and it's clear water. And then all of a sudden a 20 footer rolls out and just cleans you all the way back to the beach. But it was an intense one. So we would start on the ocean beach side. We did that same course. So we'd paddle out take a right-hand turn, come into the beach, around a beach flag, back out, one more right-hand turn on the outside. So we had two big opportunities to ride a good, nice little wave, three outs. And on that last out, we actually rounded a buoy, went around Land's End, and then into the bay under the Golden Gate Bridge and finishing at Chrissy Field. So by that wow. time we finished the race, we were in the three-hour mark. <sighs> So it was a long Dude, day. That is so gnarly. And yeah. And if you know that area too, it's a huge bay. So if the tide is coming out or in, it's a huge difference. I mean, boats going full throttle with engines are sometimes not moving. So we really had to time it well, read the water well, and um, it is rough. It's cold. And then you're in that racing aspect. So it was like, okay, I don't want a thick full suit on. I just want something to keep me just warm enough. But then once we start paddling on that long haul, I need to be able to kind of cool down and not overheat too much. And then yeah, same, what do you use? I had just a long john, so no <laughs> arms, just tank top style mm. and very thin two mil. So I was just like trying to stay on my board as much as I can. And luckily we were working hard enough that it wasn't too bad. But after taking three or four waves on the head, you were brain freeze, ice cream headache all up that. <laughs> but yeah, it was an intense race. Somehow won it the first year and uh, biggest prize no was stand up. So that was exciting. And then the last few years just kind of got my butt handed to me and humbled very quick at that spot. <laughs> For instance, 2019 was a crazy year. There was just fog and couldn't see much. So when you're launching the beach, all you could see is like two or three white waters out. You couldn't really see those big ones rolling through. So it was a good long haul. They did opposite reverse format. We started in Chrissy Field, paddled out. So by the time we got to the surf, we were two hours into it and we were tired, toasted, pretty fatigued, and then had to like, okay, let's Oh, is that a wave? Oh no, that's not a wave. Oh yeah, that's a wave coming out of the fog about 10, 20 feet. That's nice. Thanks. <laughs> so it was an interesting factor. It played a played a big role in, you know, previous years. You kind of, like you said, Damien would find that little rip or that little slot that could take you out versus now with the fog that year, it was just like, okay, I hope I'm okay on this one. And then same thing, riding to the beach, you're like, I can't even see the beach, but head straight in and then look for the flag once we get closer. Dude, I don't, I don't understand that. It's like, I still, to this day, like think about it, like how he makes it out first try every single, like I've been with him probably four or five times there. And every single time he makes out first try. And I'm like, dude, I feel like I have really good knowledge of the ocean and where the rips are going to move to. Totally. Especially on like a big Northwest. And I still get smoked. Maybe I'm just not in shape. That's probably just it. (laughs) That place, you definitely have to be on your your game. And especially you got, I mean, for us Hawaii people, but uh, we're not used to even the wetsuit factor, you know? So that extra little resistance, that extra material on your body, all these little things play a, a huge factor. Whereas like, uh, the guy that won it the last year, he's from Denmark. So he's 
literally training in a five mil wetsuit and that's his only opportunity. He's like walking through snow during the winter time to get into the water. So he was right oh in his, his Viking element, but you know, He's there's all it. those, yeah, there's all those little factors that play a huge role. And yeah, that one year I won too, it was that literally I was in third or fourth place coming into that last final beach run and Kai and this guy Casper were way ahead of me and they just rounded that beach flag and went straight out and I rounded it a little bit behind them and then I looked out and they're just getting pummeled wave after wave after wave so I ran up the beach probably 500 yards saw a little slot boom, took that little slot, kept my hair dry, made it out before them around the buoy and started paddling in towards Chrissy Field under the bridge before they even got out of the surf. So it's like that little difference of, okay, 500 yards up the beach, there's not a wave breaking. And I found a little current slot took me out versus, you know, down the beach a little bit ways, Kai and Casper were just getting pummeled. Wow. Dude, that's insane. Yeah, no, that makes sense though. I mean, currents just are, that's good that you saw that too. I mean, you're just like, Oh, there it is. I'm going to go out there. That's sick. Yeah, definitely. This is where the rip is. We're on. Made a big difference for sure. And those are those little things. What's the biggest event you've won? Oof. Red Bull would been far as like payday. That was probably one of the biggest paydays, but uh, looking back on all the events and all the places I've traveled, I think the one that takes it home for me was uh 2019 Pan American games. It was uh, mm-hmm. pretty f- stellar, phenomenal, uh, once in a lifetime experience, not even just winning that event, just showing up there, marching with 680 American athletes. That's just team America. And th- that one's in Peru, right? Correct. That one was in Peru walking into a huge, uh, soccer football stadium maxed out, all seats sold out for our spectators at big, you wow. know, like how they do in the Olympics, big show. Um, I'm spacing the guy's name, but the guy that sings Despacito came, performed live and all the <laughs> girls were freaking out. But I mean, just that whole experience being on a team marching with 680 athletes that were from karate to basketball, to swimming, to rowing, to all the above, you know, and then being able to take it home and win a gold medal for, you know, for Hawaii, for America was pretty stellar. And it was also one of my favorite formats as far as racing. Uh, it was one race in and out through the surf and we finished it in probably like 15, 20 minutes, high intensity, high heart rate, lots of risk factor in the sense that when we rounded the outside buoy, we had to take a wave in or otherwise you're paddling, which is a lot slower. So that was pretty stellar and the cool format in the sense that uh, days before the surfers were competing and then the not so good day for surfing, we were competing. So we got to fill in those little lay days for the surfers and they were on the edge of their chairs, super excited watching us because it's has a similarity in the sense we are riding waves, but there's that intensity of, oh, he's in first. Oh, crap. Now he's in first. Oh, now he's winning. Oh, he just <laughs> ate it. Oh, my gosh. Like, And in the women's field, that's exactly what happened there. The American woman took a huge lead, had it in the bag, no questions asked. And then it was just coming through the shore break last little bit and just kept on getting sucked up and kind of tumbled in the shore break and second place just came gliding right past her and, and up the beach so those kind of races make it super exciting you can go from first to last last to first in a matter of seconds and um, yeah 
yeah, the spectrum of, you know, that second biggest sporting event behind the Olympics was really cool to be involved with. Yeah. And I feel like you growing up in Hawaii too, like on Maui, like the conditions changed so much that you kind of understand that and can be in cheat glass or crazy trade winds. And you can like utilize that in your racing too, as well. Totally. Yeah. We can take advantage of, uh, our conditions exactly. And I think here in Maui, especially you hit it right on the nail. I think the biggest thing we learn as kids growing up here is to adapt. We adapt to our conditions. We adapt to whatever. I mean, look at Kelly Slater. He came from Florida. There's not great waves over there, but he adapted. He utilized what he could. He did what he could. He put in the hard work. And then when he went and surfed good waves, he was frothing. You know, he had a perfect canvas to paint on. And the days that were bad, he was like, oh, just like home. Perfect. Let's go. And I think that's kind of same kind of aspect here. We get a lot of people traveling from the mainland to Hawaii and their seasoned paths weekend warriors and they're hit the water and hit the ocean and things just change. There's undercurrent, there's ground swell, there's wind swell, there's, uh, you know, reverberation from the big swells hitting the cliff side and then coming back out. You have that backwash factor. So it's not this smooth sailing. We're used to tough, hard conditions. And that's kind of what lathers us up. And when we go get flat water or we go get perfect surf or all these things, it lines up perfectly for us to perform on that day. Um, so growing up in Hawaii, how gnarly was it growing up there? Was it sick? It was pretty sick. Um, in the sense that I was luckily introduced and, and drawn towards the ocean, right? So we're surrounded by water here. So if you're not necessarily into the water, it would have been a hard place to grow up in the sense that there's not a ton to do. You can't really just get in your car and go hit up an amusement park or go hit a huge uh, state park. And there's not a lot of those kind of museum and those kind of attractions that typically people would travel to see, right? And here we were involved in the surf, an ocean or we were heavily not into it. And it seems like all the kids that were not into it graduated high school, went overseas to the mainland for college and haven't returned. Where here in Maui, if you are drawn to the ocean, every time we leave Maui, we're drawn back to getting back home, you know, like we leave, we go on a trip and then we're all we can think about is getting back home, seeing family getting some insane rides, some good surf and all the above. I mean, you can drive around our island in three hours. So if you're not looking for waterfalls to jump off of, or you're not looking for, you know, some surf or wind or any of those aspects, it can get a little boring. But like I said, I was fortunate enough to be involved in all of that. And it's kept me busy. It's given me a platform and a business opportunity to literally chase my dreams and have fun while being able to still sustain a, you know, not having to go to college and get a real job in a sense. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. You, you're like the 1% though. You have that competitive drive and you made it work, right? Like, yeah, not a lot of people can do that. So that is pretty gnarly to think about. Definitely. Yeah, no, totally. It happens everywhere, wherever you're from, wherever you're at, you know, you all, we all have the ability to kick into that overdrive, kick into that other gear and chase our dreams. And you look at a lot of big athlete names, they came from nothing. And it was about hard work, dedication, 
love for the sport, the passion for the sport. And then at the end of the day, my most important thing is just having fun with it. I think as soon as it becomes a job and becomes something that you have to do, that's when it all kind of shifts. The mentality shifts there. So I've always just kept it fun. Uh, big famous surfer, obviously here in Hawaii, Duke Kanemoku would always say the best surfer was the guy having the most fun, right? So if he's saying that he's an Olympian, he's a shredder, I'm going to follow his rules, his mentality yeah. in surfing and windsurfing and all the sports and share that, share that stoke, share that love and that fun side of, uh, you know, what we can do because nowadays, especially, uh, parents, kids, everyone are so pushed and pushed and pushed to become this doctor, become this professional athlete, become this person. And this starts at a young, young age. And I was so blessed and fortunate that, I was given those opportunities and I definitely, once I grabbed those opportunities, was pushed and was, you know, hey, today we're going to the beach, today we're training and everything. But at the end of the day, it all started with a choice from myself and now running with it, it's all self-driven, all self-motivated and it's been a ride for sure. How is your uh, training regimen? Pretty gnarly? Pretty gnarly. Luckily, I've had <laughs> the last few years off in the sense, or last year and a half off. Just because uh, the Grom. Been, yeah, the Grom, the pandemic, all the above. It's been uh, silver lining, like I said. Competing at that high level for 10, 12 years, it's taxing mentally, physically. So having a big, long break, it's been really nice. But training's just kind of ramping up. And yeah, one of the spectrums is, yeah, paddling for three and a half hours from one island to another, just building that base uh, up. If you look at how you break in a jet ski or a boat, you drive it at slow speeds for hours and hours and hours. Okay, now we go pick up that speed a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So right now I'm on that building phase. So I've been at the gym three, three days. hours is building for you. <laughs> three hours is building. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, we got luckily races. Now we're getting a little more specialized, a little more specific. And I'm definitely more focusing on the side of technical. So that 15, 20 minute range in and out of the surf, high intensity, turning left, right, running on the beach with the board or a straight up 200 meter sprint. So now I can really focus on that. And yeah, the base work though, all starts now three hours might've been a little high on the spectrum, but for instance, <laughs> that is one of the races. So, um, so you know, it's a big race that goes down. There's another one that goes from a different Island Molokai to Oahu. So instead of finishing on Molokai, you start there. That one's a little bit longer. That one's about 32 miles, a little rougher of a channel. So typically we're in that four to four and a half hour range instead wow. of three, three and a half hours. And that one is, you know, same thing. People are proning it, one manning it, now foiling it. So um, that's part of it. Paddling, you just got to do. It's one of those things. You just got to line it up. As the season gets a little more closer, that September time frame is kind of that first big, big event for myself. I'll start fine tuning it and going more into our harbor where it's flat water and doing maybe not as long, but one minute all out to the point where you're almost throwing up and then taking like a four minute, five minute break, boom, right back on the board, another minute, all out full exertion and doing that 12 times. So that Jeez. will be that. Yeah. That spectrum is pretty tough. What's your recovery that you use? Recovery side is definitely been 
um, a big part that I've really dove into in the sense that I was finding, okay, I did a hard training on Monday and I got another hard training, maybe not in the water, but maybe in the gym on Tuesday. How do I go there and perform my best, right? To get maximum gains out of that. And that revolves sleeping, recovering, all these factors. So I've really dove into the device side of things, kind of the biohacking side of things. So obviously meditation, breath work, stretching, those are free advantages, sleep, and all those kind of things that can help you recover faster to perform at a high level the next day. And I've just kind of taken it up one notch. So one of those kind of things uh, we have this, or I have this device called a Normatech, which is these huge boots that you put on literally covers your feet and toes all the way up to your hips. And there's these like pair of pants that you put on connected into a machine and it pumps air into it and literally anaconda squeezes your legs, but it's pushing all that lactic acid that you just built up from that training, flushing it, getting fresh new blood into the legs and up into the heart. And that you can put those on your legs. There's an attachment for your arms, attachment for your hips. So after a long uh, paddling day, if my arms and shoulders are blown out, I put that on, try to get some new fresh blood so I can go and perform the next day at a high level. Um, and some other fun devices I've been playing with on more of the training spectrum, uh, as simple as breathing, but it's this little mouthpiece device I've been using called an AeroFit and it restricts the airflow in and out. So it's, um, really targeting your respiratory system and your diaphragm as that is a, your lung, a huge muscle and no one really thinks about it, but training off the land and trying to get a bigger inhale, a bigger exhale, actually getting more liters of oxygen into your chest and uh, going through different breathing patterns and all these different methods kind of help strengthen you off the field so that when you go to perform on the field, maybe you're not getting out of breath as quick, little things like that, where you can't really specifically train on the water. That's kind of just, you're going to breathe how you get to breathe on the water. But here it's a way more scientifical, okay, inhale, circle breathing for five counts, exhale for five counts, but then you have a restriction on it. So it's not just like breathing air right now as we're talking, but when we're inhaling, it's restricting the airflow in, restricting the airflow out. So you're really having to compress your abs, push as hard as you can. And uh, that's been a fun one as well, for sure. Did you, I think you posted about that on your Instagram, maybe up on your story or something. Correct. Yeah. The Norm Attack AeroFit, for sure. Always on the story, just kind of posting up there, giving a little insight of how things go down kind of behind the scenes, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of fun devices, rolling balls, uh, the foam roller that vibrates, massage yep. gun. Those are so good. And yeah, I mean, when I go on a trip for a competition, I pack probably three or four pairs of board shorts, three or four pairs of shirts. And then the rest of the suitcases, like Normatech, red light, <laughs> AeroFit, all the That's recovery sick. devices. Cause I just wear the same board shorts anyways, this uh, the whole trip. I love that dude. Hey, first off, we need to start with giving yourself an Instagram shout out. So tell the, tell the people here what your Instagram is. Cause you guys got to check out his Instagram. He's always on top of the training, always on top of recovery. And if you want to learn about that, Connor's the guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's simple. It's just first three letters of my first name and last name. So C-O-N, con, Bax. So C-O-N-B-A-X. 
And yeah, go give me a follow, go give me a like and uh, check it out. And if you guys have questions about any of those devices, training, just life, happiness, whatever it may be, or your soon to be father or mother, I don't have a lot of advice because I'm still learning, but shoot me a DM. Happy to talk and chat always. I love that, dude. So um, Connor, when did you get involved with Salt Life? Wow, that's been now... Dang, it's been about three or four years now. And um, it was a really cool experience, actually, in the sense that they came and really saw the growth of stand-up racing. And uh, that big event I was kind of talking about in Doheny, Dana Point. Dude, I was there. Yep. Probably three years ago. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So they came along and they saw a big opportunity to kind of help sponsor and fund this event called the Pacific Paddle Games. And they're the big title sponsor and basically was literally staying at the same hotel as Larry. And um, he's the main guy basically started chatting with them and not even knowing or asking anything about sponsorship. We were just having a good conversation. I was just thanking him saying, you know, really appreciate you guys coming and helping out with this event. And this, you know, it's a fun event. Everyone loves it. And it was kind of dying down until they came and picked it back up had a great conversation. And then one thing led into the next. And I was kind of just kind of phasing out of my clothing sponsor. And I was like, you know what, let's try something new. These guys have a way better outlook on what I'm doing because Dekine was so specific. All the brands are so heavily involved that we surf and that's all we do. Surfing is, you know, life. And I love it. I love surfing and I understand it totally. But Salt Life, was literally that salt life. They wanted to paddle. They wanted to fish. They wanted to dive. They wanted to go out on a sailboat. They wanted to surf. They wanted to It's so sick. Be involved with the culture and the the community of water-based sports. So in this region, we dive and we fish, right? Let's get involved. Let's get some salt life gear over there. In this region, we surf and we sup, you know? So it was really cool and a pretty easy, natural blend when I decided to jump on board with them. Not to mention they have some rad, rad gear, but their whole outlook on the water aspect of let's just go have a good time, get some salt in our hair, sand between our toes, doesn't matter what you're doing. If we're just cruising on the beach for a beach walk or if we're hitting the water for an adventure sport, doesn't matter. This is the salt life. This is the way. Yeah, dude, 100%. It's rad. It's super fun to be able to talk to everybody on here and just everybody's different, right? Everybody fishes or dives. Like I had Ryder on here. He's crazy spearfisher. I had Peter Miller on here, fisherman. Like it's so cool, dude. It's so rad to be able to talk to everyone and get their insight on everything too, because I'm kind of interested in everything. I don't want to just go to surf because that's my whole life is just surf. I want to learn totally. about fishing. I want to learn about diving. I want to learn about stand up paddleboarding. So it's such a rad thing because it's salt life. We do everything so we can talk to everyone about their ocean activities. It's so rad, dude. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's the thing. They took a hold of that. They're not just sponsoring one line of, uh, you know, water sports. They're really grabbing a hold of the best of the best, or not even necessarily the best of the best. They're just grabbing a hold of people that are stoked on water. They're stoked about being in that salt life community. And I think that's super cool. I mean, you go to the East coast and it's like every other car has that salt life salt sticker. Life sticker. On. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <dude>. So it's <laughs> so sick. Rad. It's rad. It's really cool so to sick. see that. And they might not even do a water sport, but 
they're interested and they are about that salt life, that lifestyle of going to the beach, grabbing a cooler picnic day with the fam. And I think that's a really cool part about salt life. And that was the main reason why I jumped aboard and kind of got on the team. That's rad, dude. I love that. I've got a couple more questions for you here. I've got a full list right here, actually. Sweet. Okay. So so the Red Bull heavy water, is that Ocean Beach? Is that the one you were talking about? Correct. Yeah. That was that Red Bull heavy water was that Ocean Beach in and out, nasty, big waves. And uh, yeah, big one for sure. Have you ever done um, like a river paddleboard race? Never a river paddleboard race in the sense like they had a few competitions up in Colorado, I believe, in Utah. But I actually have just done it on a free line, like just go. We're up in Oregon for a competition and we go hit up the White Salmon River with some local guys there that have it down. And it is rad. I think it's a very underline, underground kind of part of the sport where there's not a lot of people to do it. And not to mention, it is hard. Like the ocean is one thing, but the river and the currents and how that all works is just a whole nother beast, whole nother animal. And then you fall and then you're getting tumbled on rocks and all this stuff. So you're fully lathered up helmet, life jacket, shin guards, sometimes wearing shoes and elbow pads and everything like you're going to go for a football match. But it's rad. It's super fun. Um, it's exciting. There's little river waves that you can attack. There's little not crazy, but little drop-offs that you can try to stomp while standing up, which is super That's difficult. Sick. Yeah. And then are you using inflatables? Mention, correct. Yeah. Inflatables. So that makes it really fun. You can just roll that up into a backpack, get up to the top of the river, pump it up, and then go for your ride. That's rad. And actually, I have done a race in the river in the sense that Salt Life put on a pretty phenomenal race uh, right there in their headquarters in Columbus, Georgia, and it had both spectrums to it. So it wasn't a pure downriver race where we're really attacking the rapids and all the above, but we started kind of lower down on the river. So we had to fight the current going up. We actually grabbed our boards, ran up this dam over the rocks, and then we put into this little like cove. That cove sucked you around a buoy turn and then boom, dropped down in a rapid, one little rapid, and then back into the flat water. And we did that like three or four times. So that was my only little taste of river racing. And that was on inflatable boards as well. That's sick. I want to try that. Actually, I got invited to go to one of those. Yeah. But I think it got canceled or something. It did, unfortunately. But if they have it again and they have it part of their big annual, forget what it's called, but something like a river fest down there. So it's like all the trailers for annual barbecuing. They're having like barbecue competitions, live music. It's a pretty big festival. And then the sup side of it in that race is just one day and a little sliver of the pie, but it's a phenomenal event to be a part of. Yeah. Good beer, good music, little fun adventure on the river. I love that. I want to do it. I'm so bummed that I didn't get to do do it. it. Yeah. Hopefully it happens this year. I know. And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we were supposed to stay together as well. So that would have been super rad. So we'll look at that lined up. Let's get that lined up back on 2022. I'm going to get some pointers from you, dude. Oh, yeah. We're going to be here for a few times. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll probably be all over the place on that one, but we'll see what happens. What what are your plans this year, dude? What what kind of events do you have? Because obviously the last year has been COVID and you had your kids. So it's kind of been slow play for you. So what's going on this year? 
Yeah, last year, exactly. Slow moving, a couple little virtual races, but really nothing huge on the calendar. But looking in towards the end of this season, um, we got an event coming up here in August. That's going to be over there in Oregon in Hood River. So our inland from Portland. And that's a phenomenal race. It's really fun. Basically, we're going up current up river on the Columbus River, but then it's downwind and it creates these bumps that are just so perfect, almost like a standing wave, how they're just perfectly groomed swells because you got the current going one way, the wind going the opposite way. So it stands these swells up really tall and you're flying. I mean, it feels like you're going 16 miles per hour on your sup. And then you look at the beach and you're barely moving because the current's <laughs> going so hard the other way. So it has that little river aspect of like definitely the locals know, okay, halfway through this race, I'm going to cross over to the Washington side, get a little bit of that slipstream, that back eddy, and then cross back over on this side. But it's a fun race. The town Hood River is like small town. Everyone knows everyone. And it's one of those uh, towns basically that literally everyone's into sporting. So whether you're a mountain biker, surfer, windsurfer, everyone's into something. And no joke, in one day, my buddy Zane and I, uh, we went up, Dawn patrolled the mountain at Mount Hood because they still have snow during the summertime, snowboarded for the morning, came down, windsurfed, and then did a sup run. And then uh, towards the afternoon, went up and hit the river and went down on a, a, a raft with a bunch of friends. So it's like, and the sun was still up at nine o'clock. So they have that full day of, of action and it's a really fun town to visit. And that event is pretty phenomenal as well. Lower That's level, rad. nothing too crazy, not on a world tour spectrum, but really fun one to hit up and haven't competed for a year. So it'll be good to dust off the cobwebs over there because straight after that in September, we're heading over to Hungary, which is going to be pretty exciting. Haven't been to that country. So check that off the bucket list, get a new stamp in the passport. And that one's a pretty big event in the sense it's not part of a world tour, but uh, it's ran by the ICF, which is the International Canoe Federation. So they're a federation that's been around for a hundred years, I'm pretty sure. So They've been doing the K1, all the kayaking. If you have a paddle and you have forward momentum, so not rowing where you're facing backwards and you have two paddles, but if you're a paddling sport, forward momentum, one blade, you're basically uh, categorized, uh, categorized as a canoe. So they're running a huge uh, world championships over there and they'll have a 200 meter sprint, a technical format, which is, you know, we have you know, two different heats, 50% advance into the finals, about 10, 15 minutes, two to two kilometers about. So pretty high pace, lots of turning. And then a marathon race as well, which is in the 18 kilometer range, 12, 13 miles. And um, yeah, going to be all just outside of Budapest on a big lake. And that'll be pretty phenomenal as well. Like I said, they're one of the federations that's trying to bring our sport to the Olympics as well as the ISA, which is the surfing federation that actually got surfing into the Japan Olympics here too. So two federations fighting for our sport, which is awesome, means we got something special. And uh, yeah, hopefully see maybe a little glimpse of how they run events and how that all goes down. And then after that, back over here to Hawaii 
And we got some races over here. We got a Maliko run, which is here on Maui, where we go from Maliko, where they launch all the skis to go to Jaws. And we go down the coast to a beach called Kanaha. And then also a surf race, which is going to be right at Ho'ukipa, which is where Albi, Matt get all those insane airs and insane rides. And we'll be going in and out of the surf, just like some of those other races. So that'll be really fun as well as two more. There'll be uh, Maui to Molokai. So in that three hour, three and a half hours of paddling. And uh, that'll be a pretty long day as well. And then to finish it off for the Hawaii leg will be an event in Oahu, kind of similar format as the Hokipa sprints in and out of surf, uh, really high pace, high cadence, high heart rate, but short burst. So those are the kind of the beginning ones. Rad, dude, you're getting after it. Yeah, getting after it, right? And then there'll be a good, good pause. Um all the way up until kind of that end of November. And then we're back over to Europe, uh, that end of November, beginning of December, and there'll be an event in the Canary Islands. So just off of Morocco, there's this island chain called Grand Canaria. And it's similar to Hawaii in the sense, some phenomenal surf, crazy, 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 crazy winds. And uh, they're going to be holding a SUP surfing event and a SUP race event. So it'll be a big Grand Slam all the athletes will be down there for that event. And then straight from there over to Paris, we'll be racing down the Seine, yeah, the Seine River, right by the Notre Dame, past the Eiffel Tower, which is a pretty phenomenal race, to say the least. Wow. Um, last year, I think we got 900, just over 900, almost 1,000 paddlers on the water. And you have the elite level, obviously, kind of like marathon style, starting in the front of the pack. And then you got everybody else in the back that's in those blow-up, freaking uh t-rex suits blasting music <laughs> having fun and dressing oh, up rad. and yeah you have that marathon aspect and the fact that you cannot paddle on that river at all it's illegal to paddle on that river unless you're on a boat going on a tour right so the only opportunity anybody has whether you're from france or not is this race to paddle down the seine river right past notre dame right past the eiffel tower all these pretty stellar uh you know places to see and go visit nonetheless to see from the water is pretty incredible that's insane hey i've got to ask you you're a maui boy have you surfed jaws just a few times oh yeah that thing has been in the backyard and uh one of those (laughs) things where it's like okay well we got laird dave the whole strap crew that was really putting it on the map and we're seeing not only the fun that they were having, but the kind of the glory and the glamour that you're getting from it. It's like, okay, we, we got to go do that for sure. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've been out there a handful of times for sure and have been fortunate enough to try it on a few different crafts. The first time out there actually was windsurfing and that was at 14 years old. And then it's kind of just progressed from there. I've tried toe surfing, uh, which is probably the easiest windsurfing and toe surfing are probably my two favorite in the sense that you're on the way from way out back. You got some speed and, uh, yeah, you can be on a smaller equipment, more maneuverable. And then, of course, got a couple little handful of waves on prone style board. And um, if I'm going to be doing any sort of paddling, obviously name of uh, (laughs) the place Jaws, but 
the stand-up is just insane. Like you can see the wave coming from way out back. You can kind of get into the wave a little bit earlier. You're already standing up. So um, I've taken most of my sessions, especially if they're the light wind days and we're paddling on my sup, go camp over there on the left, let the 80 plus guys on the right go fight for the West Bowl and uh, get a few waves by myself over there. Yeah, the left's pretty sick. Yeah, definitely. Goofy footed. And that factor, like I just said, like no joke now, especially because of that glory and glamour, uh, it's insane. It is a full crab show out there. Like everyone's scratching for waves, lots of people, buoys, for instance, and then only a handful of guys really catching waves and utilizing like the Kai's, the Billy's, the Shane's, all those guys are actually catching waves. Other guys are kind of just hanging out there for the experience, trying to learn and, and get a ride at themselves. But yeah, the left just stands up way taller. It doesn't get that barreling West Bull factor, but you can get an insane, insane drop, nice big ride, and um, a little less crowded for for the other side, considering the right has, yeah, no joke, probably like 60 guys trying to catch a wave. Yeah, dude, for sure. Have you surfed at all in Oregon? I know you've done, or you're doing an event there pretty soon, but have you surfed there? Yeah. Oregon's been a fun place as well, for sure. Definitely have hit the coast a few times. Uh, we used to have this big windsurfing event down in Pistol River, which I got to experience, got to go windsurf down there. Cold water, of course, but some phenomenal surf. And uh, some of the years that I went for that Hood River event, um, yeah, after the event, jumped in a car, headed out to the coast and uh yeah, got some really fun spots. I forget all the names, but right there on the coastline and yeah, just either up, down, you know, you have such a long coast of waves and little bays and nooks and crannies where waves kind of roll into. So had some fun over there for sure. It almost reminds me of Hawaii in a way because it's such raw energy there. It's raw crazy. Energy. There's nothing blocking. Yeah, totally. My parents live up there, so I go up there all the time. It's so Oh, no fun. way. And they're on the coast? No, they're on the Rogue River in Grants Pass. So I grew okay. up whitewater rafting and fishing and stuff. Totally. Yeah, dude. The coast there is unreal. It's so fun. Yeah, even if you're not surfing, it's like a raw energy just standing on some of those cliffs, looking at these oh, waves crashing through caves and all these things. Like we've all seen some of those photos. It's insane for sure. And the fact that, like you said, there's nothing in the way. So all those storms and ocean uh, kind of powers coming straight onto that beach, straight onto that coastline. Yeah. So gnarly. It is brutal. It can be brutal. <laughs> it can be brutal. So what, what kind of equipment, uh, are you using right now? Like what, what are your paddle boards? Are they, I know I always see Kai's Instagram. I see your Instagram and you guys, I feel like ride some different stuff when it comes to paddle boards, like Kai's totally. like trying to find the little niches and everything. He's just, totally. that, he's trying to do that 1% like you are. Yeah. He's always doing the 1% in every spectrum of the game. So he's whether it's, yeah, testing new gear out, seeing what works better, what works worse and things like that. He's trying to find the extra edge, right? Making that effort a little easier, making that glide a little bit easier. But currently right now I'm riding starboard production boards. They 
are probably at the top of the game far as production goes and R&D. So I go out to Thailand probably once a year. Last year didn't, but 2019, right before the whole world shut down, was out there testing product and boards, paddles, all the above. And the beauty of Starboard in the sense is that they're making molded boards, carbon fiber, super light, pretty much indestructible. So they're carbon and- fiber. Correct. Yeah. Carbon, fully carbon fiber. They're using the sandwich composite. So they have a layer of carbon on the foam and then a layer of PVC and then another layer of carbon. So they're pretty indestructible boards and all molded and um, they're phenomenal. And the cool part is, is that the boards that we're winning on and racing and competing on far as all starboard athletes is a board that you could go online and order right from them. So I think that's a really cool factor. Whereas some of the athletes and some of the companies are all pure custom boards. So when you go and say, oh, I want the board Kai has, um, it's not necessarily a board that would necessarily work for you. Yeah, we can't just order them. You can't just order them. Yeah, exactly. So the boards you're riding are those are the blue ones, right? And they have like orange on them too, uh, on the nose or whatever. Yeah, blue with that bright orange nose is kind of their trademark they've been going with. So when you see it on the water, you're like, oh, yep, that's a starboard. (laughs) Sick. What other, what other kind of sponsors do you have right now? So yeah, Salt Life and Starboard are my big, big sponsors, help supporting me. And then on a lower level, uh, a company called Black Project is designing all my fins for all the SUP boards. So whether it's racing or surfing or even windsurfing, they're designing full carbon fiber fins for that spectrum of the game. And uh, they, they're same same thing. They're putting a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of focus in the R&D side of things, testing fins, looking for those 1% difference differences so that when they go to mold a fin, it's the top of the line fin. And same thing, anybody can go to a store and buy these. That's rad. So you can just order this stuff like the stuff you're using specifically, you, I can just go online and order it right now. Totally. Yeah. So my boards, my paddles and my fins are all things that we can, um, yeah, order right from either directly from them or go to a, a surf shop down the road that's selling starboard products and uh, black project products. And yeah, order those up right then and there, which is really cool. I think obviously when you get to a custom feature, a custom board, you're going to have little benefits here and there, but those benefits are really going to be specific for you. For instance, in surfing, you go to your shaper, you talk to him, he learns how you surf, how you ride your board, what your height and weight, uh, you know, all those little factors, and it's going to work really phenomenal for you. But if I jump on it, it might not work as good. So starboard is really taking that full circle, not trying to make such a specific board for someone, but making a board that's an all around board for good for surf race, good for downwind. And then one board that's more filtered to that European market where it's designed to go straight and in flat water for 18 kilometers and be just this rocket ship gliding, slicing, kind of cutting the water. And, um, yeah, they have kind of all the different options for you. And I think that's a pretty cool feature in the sense that, yeah, a lot of companies you have to go get custom. Yeah, for sure. If you, if you had to give me some tips as a beginner, what would you, what would you say? 
Ooh, biggest tip for all SUP paddlers would definitely be focus on how your paddle is going. I think that's the number one thing that I always see people kind of do. They'll grab their paddle and start paddling. And for some reason, how our mind works or how we eat a bowl of cereal, I guess, but the rake of the paddle, um, it goes straight down. You have the shaft and then the actual blade is kind of has a little angle and that blade, everyone wants to kind of have it angled back towards their board where that rake should be pointed towards their nose. So that's the number one thing. Um, Also, big thing to do is just kind of finding the right place, time, and the right equipment because I can go take a race board out at Hokipa and I will look like a complete kook because that's not what that board is designed for, right? So looking at what you're interested in. Okay. I'm interested in racing. Okay. Let's see where I'm going to be paddling and what I'm going to be doing. And then I'm going to get a board that's designed to help me go fast and paddle through chop, or I got a board that's going to go fast and, you know, slice through flat water. Um, and all these little things are, of course, you know, you can either look up Google and see, like go to the beach, go to the lake and see what people are paddling to help to decide kind of what to use and utilize. And last thing, always safety, wear a leash. You know, I'm a, you know, professional paddler and I never leave the beach without a leash, especially if I'm by myself. Um, there's just too many cases where you never know you get knocked out. And at least if that leash is on you, you're connected to a huge piece of flotation device. Even if you have a blow up suit or a blow up vest or whatever it may be, um, you know, wear a leash, keep safe and, uh, yeah, have fun. Rad dude. I love it. Oh, yeah. Connor, thank you so much for cruising on right now. That was so fun to talk to you. And I could keep going for hours, but you got a kid at home. (laughs) I know. This is just such an easy conversation, right? No, thank you, man. Appreciate it. And it's uh, easy. Yeah. Stoked to chat with you always. Rad, dude. Well, uh, thank you. Seriously. We can't wait to talk to you more about everything and your future and paddleboarding and how you do this year. And if you guys want to, follow Connor on Instagram. He gave you uh, his Instagram. So make sure to, to look him up, give it again on Connor if you want. Yeah. Con backs. And yeah, for everyone listening in, just thank you. Appreciate it. Live that salt life. And, uh, yeah, just big thing. We're coming out of this, you know, crazy time. And I think it's so important for all of us really to find a new purpose, a new drive of how we want to live, how we want to achieve a higher purpose in the sense that, where we've seen it, community stronger, our connections are getting stronger. We're getting a hold of people that we haven't touched base with, and I love seeing that. So, thanks for everyone listening. Let's do our best to just go give a shout out to a friend that you haven't talked to or whatever it may be, and uh, hold on tight to your loved ones and just uh, get out there outdoors, whether it's salt water, fresh water, have some fun. Rad, dude. I love it. Words of encouragement. Oh yeah. All right, Connor. Thanks for coming on. And uh, thank you guys for listening in. All right. Aloha. Thanks for listening to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Real Salt Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast to help spread the word. Stay salty. Phew.